Arthur Ward has always been curious. His childhood in the Caribbean saw him taking hikes with friends into caves and bushes for the sheer purpose of exploring. Much to the chagrin of his mother, Arthur's curiosity led him to dismantle many of his toys and, upon occasion, some household appliances. Arthur just wanted to know how things worked. In time, Arthur discovered cameras. Instead of merely finding out how things worked, he now had a zest for documenting them. His curiosity about things and people could now be captured and preserved in images. After joining his high school's track team, the visionary recognized that some of his fellow track athletes had incredible stories that were not being told by any media outlets. Arthur, along with his friend Rohan, decided to do something about it. They formed a small production company and began to cover every sport being played on the island. Little did he know, but this crash course in business would prepare him solidly for adventures and endeavors that were just beyond the horizon. In the past few years, Arthur has continued his exploring ways. From climbing the snow-capped mountains of Western Canada to walking the enchanted beaches of New Zealand, Arthur Ward has taken his curiosity on the road. Oh yeah, about his love for cameras? Arthur has parlayed that love into his own thriving photography and video production company in one of Canada's bustling cities. This is the story thus far of Arthur Ward. I am Crispin Brooks and this is Planet 30. Arthur, welcome to Planet 30. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're a man of many talents, as we know. A visual artist, photographer, filmmaker. Tell us about your journey in the visual arts. Where did it all start? Well, I'll first say, you know, um, you said I'm a man of many talents. So I'll just, I'll just say, you know, let's, I'll just keep it singular. You know, my talent is, is creating and sharing stories. Uh, that's pretty much where I try to focus my talent these days. Uh, so you asked where it started. It, it started. It started from my childhood, really. Mm. Growing up, growing up in Anguilla, there was uh, there was always a need to share things. There was always a need to communicate uh, the things that I was involved in. And that being, you know, at an early age, being involved in sports, uh, mainly track and field, there was always a need to share the things that not just myself, but other, other athletes in the sport were doing. So yeah, that's essentially the birthplace of the things that I'm doing today. And the birthplace of Arthur Images really started in Anguilla. And mostly, you know, if you want to put a pin in it, uh, at the uh, James uh, Ronald Webster Park, that's mm. where most of our uh, that's where most of our sporting activities were. So, when you say you had to share stories from other athletes and yourself, um, were you sort of the the guy with the camera on the field taking pictures of everybody? <laughs> How did this work? 
Oh yeah, yeah. You know that was me. I was the I was the nerd. I was the guy in the latest tech. I was the guy that had the Sony Handycam, uh, trying to film and essentially trying to be the hype man uh, for 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 everybody, all my teammates and and everybody that was doing good. You know, I tried to be the guy that would just take these videos and throw them up on Facebook. So if you do a little bit of digging, you can find some uh, old videos of uh, Kieran, a.k.a. Speedy Rogers, uh, Zarnell Hughes from way back in the day, Johan Romney, of course, Shower Proctor, Denver Ruan, uh, TJ, uh, you know, the, the, the list goes on. But uh, yeah, there... I was essentially the hype man for what was going on at the time. And although the island is very small, all the names that you mentioned all ascended to the collegiate level. And you mentioned Zarnell Hughes, who's the uh, UK's uh, record holder, I think, in the 100 or 200, if I'm not mistaken. He's had great success on the sprint scene in the UK. And Shara Proctor. Yeah, Shara Proctor, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not sure if she is the current record holder uh, for the UK in long jump, um, but she was, a, you know, certainly the record holder at one point in time. So what, what about what about uh, documenting? How did that kind of? Because you know, the average kid in, in uh, who's on a who's on a team is concentrating on their own performance and, and if they can win the next race, etc. But you seem to be um, the one who's willing to share your talent beyond track and field and really um, capture the moments for your colleagues. Where did that come from? You think it's just a part of you or obviously there was a, a, an interest in media somewhere? You know, I would say it sort of spurred from me being, I guess, disappointed a few times in, in my career as, an, as a track athlete. Uh, let's just say, you know, I've been trying to make the character team uh, for probably three or four years in a row and never made a team because I just wasn't that good. And, you know, actually, I made a character squad in my last year uh, of eligibility. So I guess when I was 18 or 19, I made the squad then. But every time before that, I would always have to hear how good the games were from, like, Curly Gums or from Malone Richardson, these athletes that were consistently making the, the squad. And, you know, Rollins Richardson, you know, going to most of these games as well. I would have to hear the stories from these people. So when I finally made the character team and also making a couple other teams to represent the island, I, for some reason, just felt the need to just document it and share the, what was happening so that people who weren't able to attend the games uh, can can sort of partake in that experience. Now, tell us a bit about your, I know that you had some disappointments. Tell us a bit about your um, journey in sports. Uh, well, my journey in sports. Well, okay, I'll, I'll say this. I'm now retired uh, after... I would say 15 years of being a, a track and field athlete. Let's go back to 2011. I got a scholarship to attend the University of Regina in Saskatchewan, Canada. That track scholarship allowed me to compete for 
the University of Regina for five years. I uh, competed on the team as a triple jump, as a triple jumper, and I'm proud to say that I I made it to nationals every year competing for the team. Uh, nationals is the the highest level you can compete at a university level in Canada, and when you make it to nationals, you compete against all the other university triple jumpers across Canada, so from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. Every year, I've finished within the top... Uh, every year, besides my rookie year, I finished it within the top 10, within the top 10 triple jumpers within Canada. Every year since I've been in university, I've finished top 12. And my highest finish, my highest rank within Canada, I finished top six. So I think, you know, my coach growing up, Wilma Proctor, she always said you, uh, you could get one of two things from sports. You can either get a professional career and get paid to do sports or you can get an education out of it. So I was able to get my degree in marketing alongside competing as a triple jumper. And yeah, I feel pretty successful knowing that I was able to compete in sports and at the same time get an education out of it. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much my journey in the sport. So that, that seems like a natural fit for you, marketing and sports. Because I, uh, if I recall reading, you and a friend had a company called Vertical Infinity as high schoolers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess, I guess I was setting myself up for success long before I even knew what I was doing. Uh, before I left the uh, before I left Anguilla, yeah, we had a uh, vertical infinity, uh, vertical infinity productions, and essentially, this was the time when I would say YouTube was kind of just getting big. Even though we didn't really have a YouTube channel, there were a lot of videos suddenly available on the internet that would show you how to take gear, connect them together, and create content. They will show you what sort of cameras you need to get certain types of video, what sort of editing software you need to get certain types of special effects. So, uh, you know, being the nerd that I am and really interested in technology and a uh, good classmate of mine, Rohan Petty, we were actually neighbors. We just sort of, you know, got together after school and just started, you know, experimenting with, you know, with our cameras and stuff like that to uh, create music videos and to create different special effects for people who needed at the time. So we went around, uh, you know, shooting a lot of t tourism videos, music videos. At one point, we were recording politicians to put their, their speeches up on YouTube uh, we were doing a lot, and um, that that sort of sort of set the foundation for us knowing the basics when it comes to editing photos, editing videos. Uh, albeit, you know, we had to kind of put that on pause when we both left for 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 university, but those skills sort of transcended time. You know, looking back then and looking at where we both are now. Those skills are, you know, pretty valuable. Uh, having learned, you know, those techniques when we did, to now we can 
focus, you know, more on advanced skills, like um, when it comes to editing and stuff like that. You do both video and photography. I know you are a excellent photographer. Which which do you, which form of art do you do you prefer? Are you you say I'm more of a photographer or more of a video guy or is it both? Honestly, you know, I I prefer none over the other. Okay. I can say that with confidence now because. You know, for a while I was caught up in, you know, I'm a photographer, I'm a photographer, this is what I do. And if you look at my, my work, yes, you would see that my strength is with photography. But I believe in this day and age, it's not about the content per se, it's about the medium that you're delivering that content you know, the vessel that's carrying that content. Because ultimately, what I'm really passionate about I'm passionate about the story, mm. less so than photography or videography or special effects or whatever. All that stuff is is good by itself, but all that is you know a flash in the pan. It's just it's all uh, glitter, bells and whistles. If there's no meaning, if there's no substance behind it, people would just see it and then forget. But some of the most impactful, like Nike ads or documentaries out there, don't have all the crazy transitions or the special effects. They just have the story behind it that hits you hard. So I'm all about I'm all about the story, and I try to use my photography to leverage that. But you know that's why you see me also getting into getting back into film and motion and doing a lot more cinematography as well because. I feel if the people that I want to get that story to will, you know, accept it better if it's in a cinema emotion format, then that's where I have to go. If I think the people that I want to communicate to will accept the story that I'm trying to share through uh, a photo or stills medium, then that's where I have to go. And I have to keep changing based on where my audience is at. In your opinion, what makes a good visual artist? I think a good visual artist is somebody that knows their identity and understands who they are and what their work is about. Mm. I think if somebody can truly understand why they're creating the art that they're creating, then that art in itself would have an identity that would sustain itself. And people can see that person's art in in a sea of others and know right away who created it, and possibly why they created it. So uh, a good artist has to know who they are and why they are creating the art that they create. Wonderful answer. You seem to shoot a lot of different sorts of things. What? What in, Just holistically, what inspires you? I'm a curious person. You know, I, I look at something, and every time, every time I look at anything in life, I try to figure out, the why and the how. Why is that like that? And how did it get to be like that? So, you know, in my daily life, it can be something as simple as me seeing an ad online or me seeing a, you know, an ad somewhere on the street, on a billboard or something with an image. And I'll look at it and I'm like, oh, that's cool. But then I'll ask myself, but wait, how was that done? You know? It, it, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be anything. Or, you know, it could be more complex. Like, I could be, you know, in my apartment and just, uh, you know, 
actually just look up in the uh go down in the furnace room and see you know one of the pipes that looks funny and it's just kind of at a weird angle or it's got some weird device on it and i'll spend a few minutes maybe like an hour or two just trying to figure out well what's this device do why is it there and why do we need it right um um, my mind operates that way and it's always looking for problems and potential solutions to those problems uh, whether they be big problems or small problems. So when it comes to the work that I create, uh, the same the same thing applies. Like I could have a crazy idea of vision in my head and I probably won't stop until I can get that vision and that idea out of my head onto some sort of medium. So I would I would experiment with different types of photography, with different types of you know, visual, uh, cinematography, special effects or whatever. I'll just tinker. Uh, you may never see some of this stuff. There's a lot of stuff that happens that I, you know, won't put on my Instagram on my website, but all of that stuff, it's a one experience for me. So when I do get the call for that job or do have a project that I'm faced with, I can fall back under those experience where I was just tinkering and experimenting and, you know, have a good approach to the problem that I'm, you know, facing currently. You sound like you were one of those kids that used to tinker with the VCR and the DVD player and, <laughs> and the cameras. Oh, yeah. I, I got in trouble a lot growing up. Like, my father would get upset at me and, you know, accuse me of breaking his stuff. And, you know, I was always... His stuff was always off limits. My mother would buy toys and stuff for me and get upset because I'll just take them apart, you know. And I, I partly blame them. Like my my father, he he fixed everything himself: the washing machine, the the sewing machine, the lawnmower, the grass cutter. It, like even bought a welder, teach him teach himself how to weld. My father would try to do everything himself, you know, and. My mother bought me a lot of books, but not a lot of, like, uh, not a lot of, you know, story books. She would buy, like, those books that explain, like, how things work and the diagrams with a cutaway. And you can, you know, you could see half what looks on the outside and the other half of what the inside of, like, you know, uh, like a light bulb or uh, ironing, um, like, like, uh, you know, like a sewing machine, what the inside of that would look like. So I was curious. So if there was something that had screws in it, I would go and take up some tools and open it and see what was inside and see how it would work. <laughs> so, so now we fast forward to Mr. Curious. Mr. Curious is in college in Canada. He finishes college. And I think curiosity led you to doing uh, many different things visually. But one of the things you did was you opened your own business. Now, what are some of the things you learned as a creative going over into the business side? Because I know a lot of creatives um, have difficulty sometimes. Uh, what are some of the lessons you learned, um, you know, balancing being a creative and an entrepreneur? Well, the first lesson I learned, my first, and I think the first lesson anybody would learn is burnout is real. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the... Uh, the art does not want to play nice with the business. 
<laughs> and that's something you really have to balance. And the, the trick is, is that, you know, you, you get burned out trying to balance the two. You get burnt out trying to chase every job so that you can pay your bills and have food to eat. And then you get burnt out emotionally because then you realize you're just chasing money. You're just chasing jobs that you're not really that excited about. And then the jobs that you're really excited about or the projects, the art that you really want to create, it's not going to pay as much money as, you know, just going and taking the easy job that can get you the money, but you're not excited about it. So that's kind of like the first thing you really got to, you really, you'll, you'll have to confront. And I won't offer any solutions on how to manage that because I believe every individual is different. And so that's kind of a struggle. I feel everybody will have to face on their own in terms of like how into how to balance that act. Now, what are some of your um? I, listen, I know that the photography and film game are two of the most difficult games to be in, in terms of equipment, in terms of new toys. New toys come out every month, practically. Um, it's an expensive hobby. Now, what what are some of your favorite uh, weapons in the game? What are your must-haves? Uh, well. <laughs> must-haves well you know obviously i'm going to be biased here but uh since moving to canada i've focused quite a lot on photography uh that actually got me through uh school backtracking a little bit i did say i was on a scholarship but uh scholarships work differently in canada to to let's say the uh united states of america in america uh you get a scholarship a full ride that covers everything plus they give you extra money to do whatever you want in canada a full scholarship that only pays for your cost of your tuition nothing else so all the little union fees and your your room and board and and all that stuff you have to take care of that on yourself so interesting uh when i left the island i actually had a little camera uh, I got a Nikon camera from uh, from a photographer in in Anguilla that had a studio. Actually, the camera wasn't working, so he said, "Hey, if you pay me two hundred bucks to send the camera back to Nikon, get it fixed, you can have it." So I did that, and so I had a little Nikon D seventy S, and Ooh. I brought that with me. And yeah, I didn't really intend to use it because you know I left the island. And my idea at the time was, I can't, I won't let my parents down, you know, they're, they're expecting me to do, do good. But then, you know, I realized I needed some, some work. And on campus, I started taking pictures for the student newspaper and that kind of snowball, that's kind of, that's pretty much, that was a spark that lit the fire that got me into where I am today. So... I, I started with Nikon. That was the camera that was pretty much given to me. And I've been with Nikon ever since. Uh, right now, I am, you know, if you really want to get into the details, I could talk tech all night. Of but, course. I mean, um, we want to know what, 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 what the experts are using. Well, I, I, use, I use Nikon cameras. Uh, I use Nikon because they were given to me, not because they're the best. Uh, when it comes to 
the art of photography. I don't think there's a best camera. Uh, there, there are smartphones that take better pictures than some DSLRs now. I mean, everybody and their dog uh, has access to a good camera. <laughs> and claims so, to be a photographer. Yes, yes. So the game has changed, you know, quite considerably in the last eight, nine years. Uh, so I use Nikon, but from Nikon's lineup of cameras, what I do have is I have two bodies of the Nikon D500. Reason being I have that specific camera because it has a high frame rate that I use for sports. Uh, sports is being a very fast-paced environment, right. and I need the high frame high frames per second capability of the Nikon D500 to keep up with the sports. Uh, on top of that, I also have a Nikon D800. Uh, the difference with the D800, it's a lot slower, but what it doesn't have in speed, it makes up in resolution. And at the time, 36 megapixels was an insane amount of pixels to have in a camera. Now cameras are walking around with 50... 50 plus megapixels but uh it's an oil camera it still does the job for me because a lot of my stuff is going to social media and online a lot of clients are doing digital campaigns now so when you're working in the digital space a high megapixel count really doesn't have too much benefits if anything it slows you down but if you're working with print and stuff like that that's where the high resolution is needed uh, but yeah, that's kind of my main, those are my main drivers. I use those bodies. Uh, I did have a lot of lenses, but when you're doing this for a while, you kind of understand what you shoot, how you shoot, and that determines the gear that you have. So the lenses that I currently have are not much. I have a Sigma 20 millimeter F1.4 art lens. Uh, I love that lens. It's it's wide. It captures a lot of the, the environment. And it's sort of like a safety lens when shooting on a sideline because when the action comes right to you, I just pull up the body that has that lens on it. It's wide enough to capture, you know, whether it's football, basketball, whatever's coming at me, I've got the lens uh, on the camera and prepared for that. My next lens I have is the Sigma... 85 millimeter f 1.4 art lens uh, one of the sharpest lenses out there it is very good and how it just nails focus time after time and both the 85 and the 20 millimeter being such fast lens having a, a aperture of f 1.4 i can really blow the background on the 85 and get some really nice punchy images the final lens that i have that's pretty much a requirement for any sports photographer out there is a 70 to 200 uh a nikon 70 to 200 version 2 f 2.8 and that lens just allows me to shoot you know the long game so anything from you know like football american football uh hockey golf uh anything where i really need to zoom that lens uh comes into play so yeah that's pretty much it i've got three cameras three lenses on the photo side i have a lot of gear on the camera on the cinematography side that i i essentially won't go into because right. <laughs> cinematography is, is a whole other ball game we know but but um 
So you'll say those three bodies and those three lenses are sort of your go-to for, mm-hmm. especially for sporting events. Yep. Arthur, other than sports, you created something very interesting in terms of presentation. You started something called a sport trip. Tell us about your sport trips. Well, first of all, I'll say that sport trips, it's not an original idea. I didn't invent the term. Essentially, what I did was I studied marketing in university, and one of the things with marketing is you have to you have to define the brand, and then you once you define a brand for yourself, you have to you have to you have to own it, and that's that's an important piece. Is once you understand who you are, you you have to own that. So, for example, my my marketing professor, uh, his brand was wearing a uh, he had a clean shave, um, well, he was bald. <laughs> and he had a clean shave, but then he had a goatee, so he looked like the guy from uh, Breaking Bad. He had the same kind of, you know, glasses and everything. And he always wore a black turtleneck and jeans to class, and comes in with a coke, a can of coke with the bendy straw every lecture. And if it was a morning class, like a eight thirty class, he would come a half an hour early and put soft jazz music on the background and leave and come back when the class starts. He did that every class. That was his style. And so, you know, what he what he taught us was is once we identified brand, you know, define the brand for the client is we have to make sure that the client lives up to that brand and owns that brand day in and day out. And one of the our final project really uh, before before we got our degree was he flipped it on its head and made us be our own client. So the brief was actually our, our CV. He made us go and get our CVs up to date. And then we had to do a whole branding, you know, uh, package for ourselves. Interesting. And that was a tough assignment because you really have to dig deep and understand who you are and essentially build the pillars of your brand. So I know I'm a a photographer. I know that I am into sports. And I started looking to see who out there was making work similar to mine. And, you know, know, other than the people that inspire me, other than the photographers that inspire me, uh, which is just a handful, uh, Joel Grimes, Kiraka Eatridis, and Blair Bunting, uh, those three photographers really inspired the work that I'm creating today. But I pretty much scoured Instagram, and the way that I did that is I used the hashtags on Instagram to like really try to find anybody out there that was making work similar to me. So I looked, looked up sports, looked up sports photographer, looked up action sports photography, looked up sports commercial photography, sports advertising photography. I did all these combinations and, you know, I didn't find anything that was looking similar to mine. And I came across this one little um, hashtag, this random hashtag. I was just punching in stuff. I was going to do, you know, sports portrait photography. And I guess it just like autocorrected. And from the drop down (laughs) list, I saw sportrait. And it only had like just like a few hundred posts in there and when i got in there i realized it was just like sports portraits of high school seniors 
Uh, and I stopped. I, I stopped for a second, and I was like, "It's it's interesting this little uh, hashtag because it's got a varied collection of different sports because they're for high school senior athletes. So you've got everything from lacrosse to football to basketball to swimming, tennis. And I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." But then it kind of clicked and registered with me because a lot of the work that I was doing and still do is heavily connected to the university here in Regina um, because uh, well, for the last couple of years I've been contracted to do a lot of work for the university and all their varsity teams so I could connect I could uh, what's the word I can um, that one hashtag sort of resonated with me and given the fact that it only had a couple hundred posts in there I made the decision like three years ago to say hey well I think all my work my work that I'm creating you know can fit into this category and it's just a shortened form of sports portraits I'm gonna call them sportraits and Every post that I put on Instagram, I am going to tag with the hashtag Sportrit. And you started being the king of the Sportrits. Well, yeah. Well, well, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. Uh, you know, you have to define your brand and then you have to own it. So from that point on, I made the conscious decision whenever I'm talking about my work to somebody in person, whether I'm, you know, I'm corresponding an email. If I'm ref- whenever I refer to my work, I never use photography. I use the word portrait, not just the word. I just put the hashtag in there as well. So if I'm talking to somebody and say, you know, hey, yes, uh, Sunday afternoon works great. That'll be uh, that'll be a, a perfect day to get you some portraits to get you some hashtag portraits. I mean, as far as the putting it on my business card, like. On the back of my business card just said hashtag sportrets. Hashtag sportrets. <laughs> and the, 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 my thinking was, was like, I don't want to tell anybody my work is good. I want people to tell, I want people to decide that for themselves. So when they go on that hashtag, they'll see the grid pop up and they'll be able to see my work amongst all the other images that are on there. And without even having to tap it to, to pull up my, my name, they can see at first glance how my work stands out from from everything else, and like I said, there was only you know a few hundred posts in there that were labeled portraits. So what I started doing is just instead of telling people go to my Instagram or go to my website, I was trying to just get people to just Google portraits and just look up the hashtag portraits, and then they can decide for themselves whether they like my work, whether it stood out. And if it was at a higher quality than the other sports uh, photography that was out there, and, and and the sports definitely do stand out. You know, briefly describe exactly what a portrait is, like how it looks. I mean, we talked about the brand, but in terms of what it looks like technically uh, or visually. Uh, yeah, I guess we're on a podcast now. Eh? <laughs> um, well, so. What a portrait is designed to do, it's designed to capture your attention. That's the most important thing. No matter what platform you're on, it is an image of an athlete 
that should hold your attention for two, maybe three seconds. So I guess to get in the, 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 the mechanics of it, my work has a certain sort of punch to it. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it's, it's high in contrast. It could be a little bit gritty, I guess. But I always like to take the approach to make my images have sort of that hero appeal to it. So the athlete is usually in focus in the image. They're usually in either, a, you know, a position of power, whether they, they appear to be, you know, very uh, large compared to, you know, where the camera is at, or they're in doing some sort of movement, some sort of action. And I try to recreate what they would look like if they weren't in a game. I try to recreate that and give the viewer a sense of them being in the front row seats right up while the action is happening. So, and I should say that these portraits are usually done in sort of a studio setting most of the times, not all the times, but most of the times. So I will try to have them in a control setting, set up the lights, uh, studio lights and everything to help give that contrast. And yeah, just make it look something other than just an action shot that was taken during a game. But you, you seem to be branching out a little more from sports because, you know, according to Instagram, I saw you dabbling in a little bit of a uh, of a shoot with a ballerina. Oh, so you know what? My focus is on athletes and their stories. The the the, the images you're referring to on my Instagram is of a, you know, uh, 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 what's the word? I, I, I want to say professional dancer, but I, I feel that can be interpreted and misconstrued. Um, she's a, a classical dancer. So a, a professional ballet dancer, perhaps? Well, she doesn't just do ballet. Oh, okay. You know, she, okay. She, so the background on, 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 on this athlete, uh, her, her name is uh, Sheena Capilla, and she was actually enrolled in a dance academy in Houston, Texas. And she's been dancing for 10 years or more, I believe. Uh, the reason why I came about working with her is I met her through a company that I work for. And this company is, uh, they're in, you know, sports and culture. They make uh, sportswear and apparel and stuff like that. And she was one of the uh, employees at the company. I found out that, you know, she was, she, you know, she was a, a dancer. And um, she also got a job to model slash dance for this uh, with one of the, the telecom companies in the city and they were recreating this uh, this campaign where there's um, a dancer like a ballet dancer in a tutu and everything you know on a sidewalk walking to school and sort of jumping over a puddle but jumping like how a ballet dancer would do it and then in the puddle you see the reflection of the ballet dancer but like in real life it's just a person with books and stuff going to school so i was an assistant on that shoot another photographer was doing that shoot so uh, during that shoot the makeup artist was say uh said to me hey you know let's do a shoot with sheena uh let's just do a, a creative collaboration and those are the pictures you're referring to um but uh what i was saying in the beginning is i like to focus on athletes and their stories and knowing sheena i I, I got a taste of what her life is like as a dancer. Uh, for example, 
you know, getting ready for these uh, these shoots, her warm up routine is a, a little bit intense. ridiculous. <laughs> a little yes, intense. because she has to be able to move her body in ways that me and you would never be able to do. Oh, right? oh yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> she she is sitting on her on her feet, bending back her toes and pressing them, and I'm looking at her and it's like, gosh, that's just that's tough to look at and she's like this isn't anything her, her mother would like literally take both her, both her hands and fold her feet back like it was you know a, 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 like you know a, a, a loaf of bread or something and it's just she puts her body through so much rigor and pain just to do these moves just and movement that looks so graceful when you see them on film or on you know, on camera, and sounds ridiculously painful. Honestly, I'm I'm happy this is a podcast, so we don't have to show anybody what that looks like. Yeah, but it's um, you know just using imagination, and these are the things that you know I want to show, and I want to do a better job of kind of bringing that sort of visualization to the forefront. You know, she is not a famous. Uh, she's not a famous dancer. She's not a famous ballet artist in the world you know, may not know who she is. But I feel for every famous person we know, for every LeBron James, for every, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, may soul rest in peace, for every Michael Jordan, there's like tens of hundreds of other people that are equally impressive that names just never got in the spotlight. And I, that's what I, that's what inspires me. I really want to focus on those people and sort of give them a step to get to that level. That's awesome. And so while you're seeing those images of the dancer on on my Instagram, it's not that I'm dabbling into a new genre, a new, or a new thing other than sport. I think her journey qualifies for me to just try to document what she's doing. Right. And I, like you mentioned, the story is the bigger thing, right? Yes, yes. And, I, you know, me just now having to go into depth on having to explain that story to you and everybody listening that may have seen my Instagrams, then again tells me that I really need to do a better job on what I'm doing. Because Instagram is, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very niche medium. You know, you put photos on there, you throw up a little bit of video, but I still need to, you know, whether it's through better captioning, whether it's through better visuals the story that i just explained that's a story that i want people to go onto my platform and to receive that digest that understand that and 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 get a picture for themselves of what i'm experiencing and what these athletes are going through and it's kind of hard to do that sometimes with instagram right so here's here's a question for you about social media we may you mentioned earlier that everybody and their mother-in-law is now a photographer. Is this new wave of quote-unquote influencers um, and and for, and new wave photographers? Does that hurt people uh, who are really professional, who've trained, who've been educated in the business, or does it help because more people are interested in the in the art form or or appreciate it more? I tell you this. It hurts the business people and the entrepreneurs more so than it hurts the artists. Interesting. I, I 
it it really doesn't bother me, Crispin, that everybody is a photographer now. And I would I would be lying if I say it never bothered me. You know, two years ago, it, you know, it tickled me a bit. Like, yeah, everybody's a photographer now, and they're just driving the value of my work down. But then what I realized is that what my work is today is a result of 10 years of me building this craft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I have a very distinct style, a very distinct look and feel, and I have a very distinct mission. Right? What I'm trying to do with my portraits, I don't, I don't think there's anybody else out there trying to do the exact thing that I'm doing with the tools that I have. So knowing that, I know there'll be there. I know who to put my work in front of for me to get the traction that I need to gain. Now, I feel if I were just starting out and trying to, you know, get into photography, then it'll be stressful because starting out, I feel everybody in this creative business needs to do a little bit of everything. Uh, they need to understand the types of photography or the, just the different types of the artistry or the different aspects of the industry that excites them and, you know, the different aspects that irritate them and stuff they like and stuff they hate so that when they get to a point, they can know, you know, what to focus their energy on. So I, I can, I, I, you know, I can understand people getting frustrated where there's so many people in the industry right now doing photography for cheap and doing really low and low quality jobs and crappy work but i'm not losing sleep over it because i know what i'm trying to do with my work and i know which avenue which niche i have to really focus on and it's not something where I've never gotten overnight success doing what I'm doing. It's always been the long game. It's always slowly kind of manifested and it's still slowly manifesting itself. And I'm not worried. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast is that what I understand now, it's more so about the story and less about the, the, the vessel or the medium that it's in. So, you know, photography is a tool. In photography, that's something that I use. But like I said, I'm I'm also developing, you know, my cinematography now and my my video, and I'm I'm working on that. But I'm not stressing myself out about it too much because, let's say tomorrow, if Instagram changes or or, or you know the internet changes, and now you all of a sudden need a different tool, then I'm already you know a few steps ahead that somebody that's starting from scratch because i understand what my mission is i understand what my purpose you know being here trying to share stories is about i just need to then quickly adjust and try to learn whatever new tools needed to to push that story out there so i feel one of the things that a lot of people are struggling with is they're trying to they're trying to create their own voice in all this noise and that's something that's a process, you know, that, that's something that takes a while. And I think it's a very hard and difficult process trying to understand who you are, what you want to do, and what makes you different from everybody else. Indeed, indeed, indeed. 
Now you you've you've shot. I, I, I mentioned the uh, the professional dancer, and it sort of reminded you of something I saw from you some years ago, which actually lends to your portrait stuff. You shot fashion week. <laughs> oh yeah. So how how do how do those things collide? Uh, does one inform the next, or you know, did you did you uh, pick up some some tips, or were you uh, inspired by some by some of the fashion, and that translated to the sports, or or vice versa? Man, I tell you, I've shot a lot of things, Crispin. Like <laughs> everything, everything is connected, and uh, and that's the thing. If you go on my Instagram, you won't know any of this stuff. You know. Um, I, I, I photograph jewelry, like high-end commercial jewelry products for three years. Wow. You know, I, I've photographed and retouched jewelry that the, the Queen of England has worn on several occasions. It's, it's, these are things that, you know, one may not know about me, and it's just because I control my brand, right? I put what I want you, out there you spell the narrative you, you release the narrative that you want to be consumed yeah. yeah and that's about trying to push my agenda of sharing athletes in their story uh sharing athletes stories right but through all those years of me shooting uh high-end jewelry all those years of me uh volunteering at sas fashion week all that stuff has refined my product, has refined this portrait that I'm working on now. Whether it be through technical skill, whether it be through connections that I've made in the industry, SAS Fashion Week has been gold when it comes to making connections within the local industry here in Regina. Being able to meet with so many different people, uh, being able to you know exchange numbers, business cards, being able to you know, go for drinks and just have casual conversations with multiple people has led to multiple jobs here and there and opened so many doors, right? So when I said earlier that I believe anybody starting out today should do a lot of little different things here and there, it's, it's, it's a way to really kind of get established in the industry, and you, you learn a lot. You make a lot of mistakes, but you also learn a lot at the same time. And one of the biggest things in the industry is the people that you know and the people that you associate yourself with. Networking is key. Yes, yes, very much so. So, Arthur, you seem to be a, a big adventure guy. Like, a lot of your shoots, I see they're in the western mountains of Canada. Uh, I know you just recently returned from New Zealand. You're from... Anguilla in the Caribbean, which is beautiful. Um, so how does nature inspire you? Because you seem to be a big nature head. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I love being in the outdoors. Growing up, you always be running around in the bushes, you know, and, you know, over there in the outside and see the village. You know, myself and, you know, my buddy Floyd would be running around through the bush chasing kites, building tree houses, you know. It, the sense of adventure has always been strong because as you know, Anguilla is a small rock in the sea. We got no rivers, no mountains, nothing. I could stand on my roof and I could see both ends of the island, you know? So, and everything beyond that is just the big blue sea. So you'd always see everything on TV and it just, you know, like I said before, I'm curious. I want to see how things work and see how how 
see what's out there. So moving to the third largest country in the world here in Canada, Canada is huge. Canada is big. And what's even more intriguing when you talk to a lot of Canadians, they really haven't been to most places in Canada. And Interesting. Hon- honestly, there's not a lot of places to go to, right? You know, some places there aren't even roads. It's just Canada is just massive and there are there's a lot of places that are not really inhabited so you know moving to canada and any opportunity i get to jump on the road i you know i just jump and go and living here in the prairies being in the middle of nowhere that's what a lot of people do is just go on the road for long road trips like one of my first summers being here in canada I was on the road for 17 hours driving across two provinces Hmm. and went to the mountains for the first time. And when you do get to the mountains, though, like the Rocky Mountains, it's an indescribable feeling. Otherworldly. Yes. It's like these things are just so ginormous. (laughs) The, The sense of scale. Right. You know what I mean? Growing up in Anguilla, you always say, oh, yeah, St. Martin's got mountains. No, man. Those things are rules compared to what you you experience when you get to the Rockies. And then, yeah, it's just like a whole nother wall waiting to be explored. So I like like the outdoors. Uh, I like being connected to nature. Uh, I'm fortunate my wife, you know, she's got an outdoor sort of travel bug as well. And so we both enjoy being outside and Canada has some of the best outdoors uh, the world has to offer so oh for sure yeah I'm very fortunate to be in Canada and very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do some traveling like like you just said we were down in New Zealand we were there for five months and we did some traveling and that was a great experience so uh, yeah I think traveling is great anybody that has the opportunity to travel uh, should do so now i will say you know during this current times with the uh global situation that shall not be named uh you know <laughs> it's best to listen to local authorities and travel only when it's safe to do so but yeah i think traveling uh is a good way to really understand how the world works to understand how 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 people work you know people are everybody's human but everybody has different ways to them in different ways, how to communicate and share, and and you know it's it's beneficial to understand you know how people from all over the world uh, do the things they do. And it sort of shifts your perspective in, in telling your own in, in telling uh, other people's stories because I, I think you get a, a sense and appreciation, don't you? Oh yes, yes. Uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, you know, I, I, I've got to try to find the platform uh, where my audiences are and try to find the, the, the best medium, the best vessel to, to communicate with my audience. And the other part of that is understanding who your audience is and how they interpret these things, you know. So, you know, my mission is really to, to work with as, as much athletes as I possibly can. And those athletes are going to be from different walks of life, from, you know, different ethnicities, social backgrounds, from different parts of the world. And I need to be able to really...
communicate effectively with them and also be able to do justice when I'm sharing their stories. So, you know, there's a lot of little nuances and little things that you pick up when you travel that you just can't Google YouTube. Because if you think of it, when you Google or YouTube something, you have to work with a middleman. Right. You have to work with somebody that has to interpret their experience and put it in a format that you can understand. And there's a lot of points where things can be misinterpreted and just fall through the cracks. They're coming from their own experience as well. Yes. But when you put yourself in an environment where you're there firsthand to experience it, you get it right away. Like being in New Zealand, it was an eye-opener for me because I understand, whoa, there are a lot of... I understand why I am the person I am today being in New Zealand. And the the funny thing is is that New Zealand is so much like Angola. Hmm. Like New Zealand was like the, the DNA, the makeup of New Zealand was so much like Anguilla that made me realize the bigger picture. Wow. Like the British really, really put their stamp on the wall because mm. a lot of the things that, a lot of the things that are like norm, the norm in Cultural New Zealand. Cultural similarities. Oh, it's uncanny. It is uncanny. Like a lot of the things they're doing in New Zealand, we do in Anguilla too. And we're, we're worlds apart. Like the, the the simplest thing is like okay yeah they drive on the left hand side of the road right they do that in New Zealand we do that in, in Angola that's that's quick and easy but when it comes to like little things like for example my wife and her friends they wanted to get a a band aid and they're asking for a band aid and nobody on nobody knows what they're asking for nobody can understand what they're asking for and then somebody eventually kind of figured out it's like oh do you want a plaster plaster. (laughs) and my wife my wife who's american was like a plaster like what is that i I don't i I want a band-aid it's like yeah like a a plaster to put on your on your cut oh that's what you call that and i was like yeah growing up that's what i call it a plaster like I called it a plaster right up until I came to Canada, but I had to change how I said it because nobody in Canada would understand what I mean by saying a plaster, right? Just, I, just little, little things like that, and I could go on. I could list many of them, but... It's like a, it's tra- like a, it's like a pill in a tablet. <laughs> yeah, like traveling like puts you right in the... And the right in the gist of it, and it just opens your eyes to a lot, a lot of things, and light up goes off, and you have a, you have a very great appreciation for, you know, for for how things work, how the world works, and and I guess you have a, you know, also a. a renewed sense of appreciation for your identity and how important it is you know because like i said new zealand is british anguilla is british and all those things came from like a british rule back in the day so who knows what may have been wiped out or or you know what norms may have been you know pushed aside or uh or replaced by somebody coming in and you know essentially 
exerting their power, exerting their rule. So it's kind of nice to know the importance of, you know, if this is your identity, you know, hold on to that and kind of have that, you know, transcend time. Yeah, that's what I try to do with my storytelling. And yeah, traveling is, is one example of how, you know, it, it can help that. You've told stories for many athletes and many brands in Canada. Um, who are some of your clients? Who are some of the people that you've worked with uh, in Canada brand-wise? One of my biggest clients in, in Canada is actually the university that I attended. I was fortunate. They approached me and got a, a contract to photograph the varsity teams. Actually, before I actually got my degree, before I was finished with university, I started you know, working with them as, as, as one of my clients, which was great. It's probably my biggest client, I would say, not in term, not, not money wise, but in terms of the exposure it, it gave me, uh, a lot of clients were attracted to my work, see, having seen me work with the university and the diverse portfolio I got from working with the university. So that, uh, led to attract some bigger clients like the CFL, which is the Canadian Football League. It's essentially the... Uh, the NFL of Canada. Yeah, yeah, you can see that. The okay. NFL of Canada is, is who they are. And um, some other clients, uh, Hilberg & Burke is that truly company that I worked for for three years. Um, you know, if you want to put a dollar value on anything, uh, the truly company is probably like... You know, because I worked with them for so long, and actually, they employed. They gave me a full time job right out of university. I worked for them for a solid year, full time, work, working with their marketing team and their in house uh, photographer and videographer. So they are, you know, one of my biggest clients, as well as the Canadian Olympic Committee. I uh, did a contract for them. In 2016, working at one of their media events, so I had the opportunity to photograph everyone on the 2016 Canadian Olympic team except the hockey team and the curling team. Okay, but wow. everybody else that went to the uh, this Winter Olympics we're talking. The Winter Olympics was in 2018. Got it. But what happened was in the summer of 2016, they had their media event. So they essentially work a year and a half out. They create all the media content for the Winter Games ahead of time. They have the teams assembled. They create all the content for the teams. So I was brought in to just get some headshots for for pretty much 90% of the athletes that were representing uh, team, team Canada. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, those are just some of the high-profile ones that I can did talk you, about. Did you, did you do something for the Boxing Association? Uh, yeah, I've worked with the local Boxing Association uh, here in the city. Uh, they've had a few events where, you know, they've brought up Team USA to, to, to box against Team Canada. So I've, I've done that on a few occasions. Yeah, working with the Boxing Association here in the city was actually my first real gig uh this was i don't know how long ago five maybe six years ago it was, was kind of like my first real gig that um they employed me to shoot there was this uh a canadian national championship or something and yeah it went horribly wrong the first two days and then i thought the images were garbage because we were shooting in this really old like auditorium 
the lighting was crappy and the red tarp of the boxing gym just had this horrible tint on the skin and gave this you know this bad color cast that i couldn't handle it and plus i've got these crappy cameras and there's no light so the images were just grainy and i didn't think they were looking good and then you know after being stressed out i was like you know it is what it is and you know the next day i just realized the client is just loving them and everybody in the at the event was just loving all the images and they took us up to the because I had two assistants working with me too. They took us up to the penthouse suite and they're showing all the sponsors and this and that. And I was like, man, I was stressing myself out about these images, but yeah, they uh, their parent loved them, and I I still have some of those images. I printed it. I printed a couple of them out, and they were that was kind of like the beginning of me sort of realizing that I had probably some skills in photography <laughs> so i think that's kind of like where my style sort of came from like i realized i kind of like the the little bit of a, the punchy and the the high contrast and that sort of like gritty images because that's how i edited them to really make the best of the all the green that was in the image and just the contrast because the light was so crappy and spotty and everything and they love those images so ever since then if i could you know recreate images similar to that that sort of started the, the trend for me so arthur you were able to turn that failure into a tremendous victory now what would you say to an aspiring visual artist that kid that's coming up and they're unsure of themselves they probably don't have the best equipment you know, what would you say to that up-and-coming visual artist? Surround yourself with people that want to see you succeed. Like, I will say, you know, that that first job that I had that started out as a failure, I had a breakdown, right? And I, I, I was stressing out about it. And to the point where I, you know, I, 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 like, I was really, like, just in shambles. And I said I had two assistants with me, and... They pretty much picked me up and they were like, dude, it's not the end of the world. You know, let's just, let's just get this done. Like whatever you need, just let us know. We'll get it done. Right. And they were, they were helpful in seeing me through the end of that. And, you know, even before leaving, leaving the island, like yourself, like I was at your office, like countless times for hours <laughs> on end you know myself and 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 rohan we were always up in your office you know just pretty much learning the tricks of the trade like mm -hmm. i said we didn't we didn't have the cameras or the gear but you had the gear and you showed us how to make the best use with the gear that we had and you allowed us to borrow your gear whenever you wasn't using it right so and now the tables it, have turned <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I help you out whenever I can, and you help me out whenever you can. So, it's I would say anybody starting out, just surround yourself with people that want to see the best out of you, and that's something that will pay dividends in the long run. Mm, very true. Very, very true. I mean, that's sort of a antidote for life, really. No matter what what your field is, there. Eh? Yeah, yeah, like you know. Everybody has that person. Like Batman has Robin, LeBron James has Maverick, 
like it, like Jordan had Pippen. Yeah, Jordan had Pippen. Like everybody has got you know that 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 guy, uh, that person, that person in the you know in the background or you know the person standing next to them. Everybody has that person, so you need to find that person of persons to really help you get to where you want to go. And you know, it's 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 something I think I should say. It's something that you don't have to force. Like you know, if it's it's it can be a one sided relationship. It's it's got to be a two way street, and it just has to work. It's it's got to be something you you can't think about. It's got to be something where you go in and you're not keeping score. You're not. You know, you're not keeping track of favors or anything. You're just seeing every situation as an opportunity. Whether you're doing the work or somebody's doing the work for you, you're just excited about the opportunity it can create. And you know, yeah, I think those kind of those people with diamonds in the rough and they're kind of hard to find. But if you if you always have an open mind and just aware of the situation you need to put yourself in, you will know when you're in that situation. And yeah, uh, you know, hold on to that because it's something that, like I said, would definitely pay, pay out in the, in the long run. What, what's next for, what's next for Arthur Ward and Arthur Images? The world needs to know. Yeah, you know, what's next for me is, is, is what I'm doing now. The mission won't change, you know, um, it might look a little bit different, but the reason why that's you know kind of tough one for me to answer because that's something that's currently evolving as we speak. You know, um, so the you're, mission. I, you're already in the future. You're there. Oh, I'm always thinking ahead. I always think about the big picture. You know, the, 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 it's always big picture for me, and the the essence of it, it, it won't change. To share stories of athletes with. You know, um, with the world, that's that's my mission. That's that's my goal. Um, big picture, however, because I'm working with athletes, because I'm working in the sports industry, and because of the uh, the global crisis that shall not be named, um, <laughs> we the sports industry is has a, a big asterisk bike at the moment, and. You know, you know, I'm not working right now. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't been in physical contact with any athletes for the last five, six weeks. So a lot of things are are changing rapidly in in the sports world. And right now, the best thing I can I can do is be patient and kind of see how this thing take shape and takes form so what's next what it what it may look like the vessel that it might be in might be different it might be the same or it could be different i don't know but what i know what i do know and what i can say is that the intent will always be the same which is to to share the stories of the athletes and the experience that they're going through with people that will be interested in it awesome so arthur the world needs to know Arthur Images and Arthur Ward. Give everybody your website, email, whatever you need to give out. The floor is yours. You can find most of my work, Crispin, on Instagram. If you uh, first go on to Instagram, go to the search bar and just look up the hashtag Sportrait. Uh, S-P-O-R-T-R-A-I-T. 
you could just go in there and see if anything catches your eye and interests you. Uh, if that's not enough for you, you can just look up my handle. It's Arthur Images, E-R-T-H-U-R Images. Uh, and that will be my profile. You could drop a few likes on images if you want. You can follow me if you so choose to, but I would encourage you to follow the athletes that I tag in my work. If anything, follow them before you follow me. Uh, those athletes are the ones that I'm trying to promote and kind of, you know, get them to the next level. And, uh, yeah, if Instagram's not your jam, you can always find me on the World Wide Web, uh, www.arthurimages.com. And on my website, you can find a wide variety of different athletes that are photographed from many different uh, sports. You can also find some of my motion content on, on there as well. Uh, my portrait stories, as I like to call them, just a collection of videos, short videos that I've done that go into more detail sharing the, the successes and failures of some of the athletes that I've worked with. So, uh, and if you want to contact me, you can always send me an email, uh, arthurimages at gmail.com. You can send me uh, a note and we can have a chat. Awesome. Such a selfless lad. I, I notice you're promoting the athletes before yourself. That's awesome. Well, man, yeah, that's what you got to do. It. I mean, I wish that this is what I wanted. That's That was my dream as an athlete, for somebody to be out there trying to do that for me. And there were people that were doing it, but, you know, I, you know if I were, I always said, if I were rich and had endless supply of dollars and cents, I'll be out there paying for athletes to go train and to get the supplies that they needed because being an athlete is a full-time job so i don't have that i have a camera and i have a vision a creative vision and i'm just trying to use that to support athletes the best way i can awesome my name is crispin brooks this was author ward on planet 30 I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com.